be saying, turn to the book of Romans. I'm in no hurry, and I hope you're not either. The book of Romans is a wonderful book. It, uh, it stands out among the books of the, of the Bible. Uh, you know, every single book of the Bible is important. Every single book of the Bible is God-inspired. It is inerrant. But anyone who has read the book of Romans knows that it's a special kind of book. And as we begin this morning, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Paul. That's a name we're all familiar with. Paul. Paul identifies his master, his office, and his purpose. It's an interesting thing that Paul had never been to Rome when he wrote this letter. We don't know who started the church in Rome, but Paul was eager to go there and to preach to them the gospel. Now, I find it interesting. Someone said one time, why was Paul so eager to preach the gospel to people who were already saved? And it's because we have this misconception that the gospel is only for people who are lost. And it's not. Martin Luther used to say, I preach the gospel to my students every single week because every week they forget it. Um, author Jerry Bridges says that you and I as believers, we should preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. Every day. So here's Paul. He's going to present the gospel. That is the whole uh, message of the book of Romans is the gospel of God. And Paul was someone who knew firsthand the power of the gospel. Saul of Tarsus, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, hated Christianity, hated Christians, traveled around, Delivering them up to prison. Many were probably put to death at the hand of Paul because of Paul. Paul, uh, Saul was the one who stood there and held the coats as Stephen was stoned, the book of Acts tells us. But Saul thought that he was working for God. He, he had a zeal for God, but it was misguided. And then one day on the way to Damascus, Saul and his men were on their way to arrest Christians that they had found out were there. And on the way, a bright light appears to Saul. He says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul said, who are you? <laughs> he said, I'm Jesus. And I can imagine at that moment, the hair on the back of his neck stood straight up. You're the one that I've been trying to stamp out. You know that, by the way, don't you know that, right, Jesus? And he said, yes, I know that. But you're not going to do that anymore. You see, there on the Damascus Road, Paul <clears throat> had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ that changed his life. So when Paul writes to the church in Rome and says, Paul, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, or of Christ Jesus Paul knew what he was talking about. You and I are called to take the gospel to the world. 
But I want to tell you something, folks. You cannot proclaim a gospel you don't know. And when I say a gospel you don't know, I mean a gospel you have never experienced. And I think this is why we see such a lack of success in our preaching of the gospel today, our proclaiming of the gospel to the world, because we have churches that are full of people that, that they've heard the gospel, they know the word gospel, but they've never experienced the gospel. Because you see, because of Paul's experience, because of his firsthand experience with the gospel, he will say later on in this chapter, he said, I'm a debtor. I owe a debt to everybody to take the gospel to them. Do you, do you have a debt like that? Do you feel that you have a debt to pay to the world that, that they need to hear the gospel and know what you know? Experience what you've experienced. Right? So Paul identifies his master as uh, he says, I am a servant of Christ Jesus. That word is better translated slave. There's a difference in a servant and a slave. A servant may work for me, and when he's done at the end of the day, he'll go home, live his own life. But a slave does not. A slave is my property. A slave does what I tell him to do, when I tell him to do it, how I tell him to do it, 24 hours a day of his life. Because he's my property. And Paul here, he says, I'm a slave of Christ Jesus. Called to be an apostle, uh, a slave. You know, a man can have two employers, but he can only have one master. And single ownership and full-time service are the essence of slavery. Paul belongs to Jesus Christ. If you are here this morning and you are a born-again believer and follower of Jesus Christ, you are a slave of Christ. You are a slave of his, and, and every believer belongs to him. We who once were slaves of sin are now slaves of righteousness. And that's what Paul's saying. Paul said, I used to be a slave of sin, but now I'm a slave of Jesus Christ, of Christ Jesus. He is my master. He says he was called to be an apostle. An apostle means one who is sent. An apostle was one who was specifically chosen by Christ himself. Now, I will venture to tell you this morning that if you meet an apostle, you look at them and tell them they're a liar because there are no apostles today. The apostle... Uh, the office of apostle in the sense that Paul and John and Peter were apostles. This has gone away when uh, the, the canon of the New Testament was finished. And Paul, he endured abuse and he endured slander and he endured beatings and he endured prison. But he maintained his purpose because he knew that God had appointed him. This is a very valuable lesson for you and I here. Uh, you know, read through Paul's letters, and you realize Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament. But when you read through his letters, and he tells about what he's been through, where he's been, uh, read in the book of Acts and in the book of 1 Corinthians, as Paul in Corinthians defends his apostleship. And he says, let me tell you, he said, I have been stoned and left for dead. He said, I have been chased. I have been uh, imprisoned and all of these things. But Paul, it's, it's a wonderful thing to remember that Paul wrote the majority of his letters 
from prison. Now, Paul could have gotten in prison and said, Lord, what's going on? I thought you said I was going to take the, the gospel to the world. Well, how am I going to do that sitting in a jail cell? So, Lord, as soon as you get me out of here, I will go on with what you called me to do. That's not what he did. Paul says, I'm in prison. I'm going to serve God in prison. I'm a slave to Christ, regardless of where I am, he said. And, and there's a, such a very valuable lesson for us there that, that our circumstances may not be ideal. But we are called to fulfill and be faithful to the task that God has called us to do. And Paul is our example of this. He said, I was called, he said, and all these things that have happened to him. We need to have Paul's resolve, whatever the adversity that faces us. And, and, and the thing is, we learn from the life of the Apostle Paul and all of the disciples and the Lord Jesus Christ above all else. When Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. He said, I am your master, and they hate me. How do you think they're going to feel about you? Paul told young Timothy, he said, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But Paul is a perfect example for us that, that no matter what happens, no matter what Satan does, no matter what the flesh does, no matter what the world does, Paul says, I have set my eyes and I will serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I will take the gospel and nothing will stop me. Nothing will stop me, Paul said. And you know what? Nothing did. But you know why nothing stopped? Not because of Paul. Paul, when he said nothing will stop me, he was saying, look, I have been appointed to this by the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he sends me on a message, he promises that that message will be taken, that that mission will be fulfilled. And so Paul gives us an example of this. We need the kind of resolve uh, that God has rescued us and that we should therefore uh, devote ourselves to him. And then Paul there, he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So Paul says that his purpose is to proclaim the gospel of God. The gospel was not a new idea. The gospel was not a New Testament thing. The gospel is a Bible thing. As a matter of fact, the very first time that the gospel was ever preached was in the Garden of Eden. When God told, he says, you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. The gospel was preached throughout the, the, the entirety of the Bible, throughout the entirety of the New Testament. We see the gospel preached in every single book of the Bible, everyone. And, and so this gospel was nothing new, Paul says, that, that this gospel was preached throughout the New Testament, that the Old Testament prophets, uh, the prophets of the Old Testament, the Holy Scriptures, he says, they preached the gospel. If you, want, if you have never read the, 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 the gospel of Isaiah, you should read it. Because that's exactly what it is. It's Isaiah telling exactly what the gospel does about how God takes sinful man and how he, he justifies him and how he makes him his own and how he forgives his sins and how he becomes his God and makes that person his, his slave. And so this is what the gospel does. And Paul says, this is my purpose, is to preach the gospel. By the way, did you know that's your purpose? That's my purpose. The last thing that Jesus said, go 
into all the world and proclaim the gospel. But here's the thing. Let me ask you a question. Do you know the gospel? Do you know the gospel? We have this idea that th this is what most of most church members believe the gospel is. God loves you. And if you will come to him, he'll save you. That is not the gospel. That is not even close to being the God. That is not even biblical. The gospel is that you are a filthy, vile, hell-bound sinner, deserving of the wrath of God. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. But God, those are some of the most beautiful two words you will find anywhere. But God. But God has made us alive in Christ. You know, the John the Baptist came preaching and Jesus Christ come preaching in Jesus' earthly ministry. The very first words out of the mouth of Jesus, do you know what they were? Repent. Repent and believe the gospel. Turn from your sin, believe the gospel. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ that he has done what none of us could do for ourselves. Paul says that Jesus came from David. He says in verse 3, concerning his son, which was descended from David and according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul declares that Jesus came from David uh, as his human as humans reckoned their lineage. And you see, being it was so very important that they understand the lineage of David and that Paul um, that Jesus Christ came through the line of David because you know what that made Jesus. King, it made him king, and and Paul, so Paul there is talking about the human side of Jesus, but then there in verse four he's talking about the divine side of Jesus, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to His Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. I read the other day where somebody said, and I believe this to be wholly true: the crucifixion of Jesus proved that He was human, and the resurrection of Jesus proved that He was God. And Paul here, uh, I love the word he says, was declared to be the Son of God with power. You know that word power right there? It's where we get our, the, the Greek word is where we literally get our word, our English word dynamite. It's an explosive power. And Paul says that Jesus was declared the Son of God by his resurrection. Paul's mission to the nations included that he take his message to the Romans. And the first mark of a believer is this, that God loves us. Not that we love him, but that he loves us. In John, 1 John 4.10, John says, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Isn't that a wonderful thing that he gave his son to be the propitiation for our sins? Why? Because he loved me. John also says that the only reason that I love him is because he first 
loved me. You know, Romans 1 through 17, uh, 1 through 7 presents a condensed version of the gospel. The Son of God came in the flesh, and then in His resurrection, He was declared to be the Son of God with power. And Jesus' work elicits faith and obedience, and it is the basis of the grace and peace that Paul greets his readers here. He says, I am here on behalf of my master, and I am here with a message for you. Now, in what way would the gospel benefit those of us who are already saved? As I said, we have this idea today that the gospel is only for people who are lost. And it's not for people. Once you're saved, you don't need the gospel anymore. And that, that is not true. We need the gospel every single day of my life. I need to constantly remind myself of what Jesus Christ has done for me and what God requires of me because of what he's done for me. When I look at my life and, and I get to thinking, you know what, I'm a pretty good preacher. I'm a pretty good Christian. I'm just going to sail through life. And God says, you need to read the gospel again. It will remind you of who you are. And it will remind you of who I am. And it will remind you of what I've done. And it will remind you of what you've done. Which, by the way, was nothing but sin. So we are called, and Paul says, look, uh, there, there in verse 7, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. When you are loved by God, you will be called to be His. When we say that God loves you, are you ready for this? If you don't belong to Him, He doesn't. He does not love those that don't belong to him. Now, 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 there is a sense in which God is the creator of all the world, and God cares about people. Uh, Jesus even said he makes it rain on the just and the unjust. But listen, it is only those who are called to be saints that can experience the love of God that is found in the gospel, that whereas our sins are forgiven, our sin debt wiped away, and our standing before God made permanent. We are justified. Paul's going to talk about that later uh, as, as we go through the book of Romans. <clears throat> look at, um, look there at verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing... I make mention of you, asking in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wives and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So Paul here, he, he, he's saying, I'm praying for you. This is something that is personal. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all of the world. Listen, folks, I want to tell you something. As, as I was preparing this, this thought came to my mind. I love 
this chapel. I love every one of you with, with a love you will never comprehend. I do. I love every one of you. But I want to tell you something. If we're going to be known in this community, I don't want to be known as a church that feeds people that are hungry. I don't want to be known for that. I don't want to be known as a church that clothes people when they're naked. I want to be known as a church that proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ, that our faith would be known throughout this whole place. Now, you know what happens? Those other things I mentioned, that comes in behind that. Doesn't go out ahead of it. That must come in behind it. That's when you begin to clothe them and feed them. But we're, we, we have become so interested in, in, in taking care of the earthly needs of people and ignoring their spiritual needs. You know, uh, I, I told a lady one time, she had a ministry, and she was, she called it a ministry. She went out, she, she gave, she helped the homeless, she gave them food, she gave them clothes, she would take them bedding, help them find shelter, she would do all this stuff. And I asked her, I said, so in, at what point, in what part of this do you take the gospel to them? She said, well, that's not my thing. That's not what I'm here to do. And I said, so really all you're doing is making them, their world, a better place to go to hell from is all you're doing. You're doing absolutely nothing but making them more comfortable on their way to hell. And we are not called to do, we are called. And Paul says, I thank God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. If they talk about us, I want them to talk about our faith. I want them to say there's a church that loves the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a church that knows how to worship God. There's a church that cares about us enough to preach the gospel to us. So Paul's prayer is personal. And the believers in Rome were known for their faith. And Paul is thankful for them. And he's eager to go and preach the gospel to those who are in Rome. He's eager. He says, I cannot wait to get there to preach it to you. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever woke up on, a, on any given day of the week, Sunday through Saturday, and said, I cannot wait to get out there into my world, into my life, and tell somebody the gospel? I can't wait to get out there, find someone, and tell them about Jesus. When was the last time you felt like that? Well, I want to tell you something, folks. This all goes back to the Damascus Road. You see, you don't have an experience like Paul had and it not affect you. Now, I want to tell you something. Every single believer on earth is saved exactly the same way Paul was. Now, we may not have as dramatic an experience as Paul had, but that doesn't mean that our experience is no less important. So don't ever think that Paul's was extra special and that makes him extra special because Paul was no different than we are. As a matter of fact, someone one time said that today most preachers worry that people don't think about them enough. He said Paul had the opposite worry. He worried that they thought about him too much. And that's what we need. You see, John the Baptist, you know, when John the Baptist was, was ministering and his disciples came to him one day, and John said one of the most profound things you will find anywhere in the Bible. And, and you very rarely ever hear this mentioned. His disciples come to him, and they said, John, that one you pointed to, Jesus, they're all starting to follow him. 
They're all leaving you, John, and they're going to him. You know what John said? He said, every single Christian in the world ought to have a T-shirt or a cap or a bumper sticker or something on your refrigerator that says these words. He must increase and I must decrease. And that was Paul's, that was Paul's uh, attitude. That should be our attitude. Paul was saying, look, I'm not here to present to you the great Paul, the apostle. He said, I'm nobody. As a matter of fact, he called himself the chief of sinners. And Paul says, I have, uh, I want you to know I'm eager to come to you and preach the gospel to you. And, and Paul uh, in verse 16 and 17 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Do you know that that verse right there was the verse that changed Martin Luther's life? The just shall live by faith. But Paul here, he describes the gospel in four ways in these two verses. <clears throat> Number one, he says, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Are you ashamed of the gospel? Let me ask you a question. If you had cancer and you went to the doctor and the doctor said, you know, I can cure you of that cancer. And so you say, Doc, whatever you want, you, you have it. You just tell me what you... He says, you know what? I want you. I want you to be eternally grateful to me, and I want you to show that to me by being my slave. Now, I don't know of anybody that would say, no, I'm not going to do that. They, they would say, yes, please, you have it. Just, and the doctor cures you. And you see somebody later and they say, hey, how you doing? I heard you had the, oh, I'm fine now. I am completely cured. Well, how'd you get completely cured? And you say, well, you know, I started living a little better life and started eating better. You wouldn't even tell them about the doctor because you were ashamed. Because that doctor's not even a practicing doctor. And we would be like, we need to be more like that young man. I think we talked about this last week, that he was blind. Jesus healed him. The religious leader said, well, you know, speaking of Jesus, you know he's a demon. He's a devil. And he said, look, all I know is I was blind and now I can see. You call him whatever you want to. But we, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Are you proud of God? You ever thought about I, I, When I was preparing this, I thought about that statement. I have never heard anybody say, I am so proud of my God. But you know what? I am. I take pride in people knowing that I belong to him. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this. Why would I be ashamed? Why should we be ashamed? But notice that Paul's unashamed of the gospel did something specific. Do you know what it did? It made him go out and tell everybody. He said, I don't care if you laugh at me. I don't care if you ridicule me. I don't care if you stone me. I don't care if you put me in prison. I'm going to proclaim the greatest message I've ever heard in the world. The gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Paul says, I'm not ashamed. He says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. That same word is the same word he used back in verse 4. Paul says, for it is the explosive power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The Jew first and also to the Greek. He says that the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. The gospel asserts that the righteous shall live by faith. This is the core of the gospel. We have a tendency to want to walk by sight rather than by faith. I, I think about Abraham, whose name at the time was Abram. He lived in Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, the Chaldeans, they, they were notorious for worshiping just, they, they would make up gods and worship them. That's how they did. I mean, they had millions of them. And one day, Abram, just going about his business, probably had never even heard of the one true God, Yahweh. But one day he heard a voice that said, Abram, leave everything you got and come follow me. And Abram said, well, now hang on a minute. Who are you? Where are we going? How are we going to get there? No, you don't read any of that. You know what Abram did? He packed up and he left. And that's why we're going to find out in chapter 4, when Paul talks about Abram, that, that the Bible says that, God, that Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Do you know what another word for believed God is? Faith. That's what faith is. Faith is believing God. It goes to the core of the gospel. It goes to the Jew first, and it fulfills all of God's promises to them. And the gospel goes to the Gentiles, and it offers uh, God's salvation to everyone who believes. Everyone who believes can be saved. Everyone who believes will be saved. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. It is the power of God. Do you believe the gospel has power? Do you believe that the gospel, I mean, okay, think about this. Do you believe the gospel can take a drug addict and make them clean? Do you believe the gospel can take a drunk and make him sober? Do you believe the gospel can take an adulterer and make him pure? We say yes, but I want to tell you what we don't believe, and I'll tell you, I'll prove this to you. We don't believe the gospel can take a dead man and make him alive. You know why I know we don't believe that? Because if we did, we'd be telling everybody we saw. We would tell everybody we saw. We wouldn't be, hey, I was blind and now I see, or I was drunk and now I'm sober, or I was high and now I'm clean. We would be saying, I was dead, and now I'm alive. Now, it's, it, it's, it's not unusual to run into somebody that might tell you, you know, I used to be this, but God saved me, and now I'm that. I don't do this anymore. I don't do the drugs anymore. I don't do the alcohol anymore. I don't do the adultery anymore because God saved me, and he's cleansed me from all of that. He's forgiven all my sin. But when was the last time you said to somebody, you know what? I used to be dead, and now I'm alive. Because I want to tell you, that trumps all the rest of them as far as I'm concerned. 
And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel that has the power to raise the dead. And did you know if you are here and you have been saved and you have uh, are a follower of Jesus Christ, that you have been resurrected. You are now alive, whereas you were dead. It's not just in the physical realm that all of this takes place. So Paul says, look, this is the gospel and I am not ashamed of it because it is for everyone who believes. Now, the key right there is not the word everyone. The key right there is the word who believes. Did you know Jesus Christ and the crucifixion, the, the gospel will save every single person it was intended to save? Everyone. There will not be one. There will never be a soul that will ever say, I came to God and he rejected me. But what we just understand is that we can only come to God. And Paul's going to talk about this later. I can't wait to get to this part, by the way. Paul's going to talk about this later. The only way I can come to him is if he draws me. I have no point. I have no, no, no part in it whatsoever other than he changes what's in me. And rather than making me hate God, rather than making me love my sin, he says, you know what? I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to make you alive. You know, I think it's interesting that we should point out here. <laughs> in John chapter 3, when Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says, Look, we know you're a teacher come from God, but you couldn't do all these things. And Jesus says, You know, Nicodemus, except a man's be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Did you know that being born again and being saved are not the same thing? You cannot be saved unless you've been born again. But if you've been born again, you will be saved. Because you see, Paul says in, in Ephesians that, that, what, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. You know what dead means? Dead. No life. But God, who is rich in mercy made us alive in Christ. You see, I can't have faith unless I'm alive. I cannot exercise faith while I'm dead. I cannot exercise faith in Christ unless I'm alive. So the first thing is, he says, you must be born again. You must be given new life. Then we can believe. Then we, but, but Paul's point here in verse 16 is that's what the gospel has the power to do. To make dead men into living men. And this is a wonderful thing for us. There are three terms that Paul uses. He uses the word salvation. For it is the power of God for salvation. This means spiritual deliverance. Especially... On the last day when all stand before God the judge to give an account of their works. One day I will stand before a holy God. And I can tell you unequivocally that where I stand right here, right now, I have absolutely nothing to fear 
about that day. Nothing. You know why? Because of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my standing before God. And Paul says, it is the power of, of God for salvation. I have been saved. That's a permanent thing. It's a permanent thing. For all believers, the outcome of that day was so certain that Paul could say that we have been, we get chapter 5, we'll see this, that we have been justified. We possess salvation now. We possess it now. Folks, I want to tell you, if my salvation that, that I have through the power of this gospel, if I can lose that, that says a whole world of things. You realize that? Number one, it says when Jesus said it is finished, he lied. And we know he didn't. That means that when Jesus rose from the dead, God was saying not, I accept your sacrifice, but I hope you did good enough. You see, Paul said, the gospel is the power of God for salvation, which is a, an eternal uh, saving of God, which happens now and forever and is always there. He talks about the righteousness of God. Uh, author Douglas Moo says that the righteousness of God is the entire process by which God acts to put people into a right relationship with himself. The righteousness of God is why we're saved. It is the righteousness of God that takes us from the grave to the mountain. It is the power of God and the righteousness of God. He said, it is, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in what? The gospel. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Did you know, and this may surprise some of you, did you know God didn't have to save you? Did you know there was nothing in you worth saving? Or me. It is only because of the righteousness of God. He says the righteousness of God in the gospel is revealed from faith to faith. It's revealed from faith to faith. This makes it clear that God's redemptive work is the basis of our justification. And then it adds that once God declares the redeemed to be just, he expects and empowers a new life. This is why I can stand here behind this pulpit and tell you what you've heard me say many times. I've had people come to me later and say, I don't like it when you say that because I don't believe that's true. And if you don't believe this is true, you don't believe the Bible. And I want to tell you what it is. It's this right here. If you have no desire to live a holy life, you're not saved. Just that simple. If you have no desire to be a slave of Jesus Christ and proclaim the message of the gospel, it's a pretty good indication you need to be saved. Because Paul says that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed to us. 
And it, it, it calls me to want to live the kind of life, and He gives me a new life, and He empowers me to live it. The gospel is not that we go out and we do what we can. The gospel is that we go out and do, let God do what we can't. You know, as a preacher, and I guess there's not a preacher on earth that has never heard this before. I have had people come to me and say, preacher, can you save me? I need to be saved, and I need you to save me. I had a guy one time tell me this. He says, I need to be saved. Will you please save me? And I had to explain to him, no, I would not save him because I cannot save him. It's not my job. My job to present the gospel. Only Jesus can save. And so Paul says we believe this, uh, that once God de declares us just, we remain just. And for salvation, for Paul, salvation is by faith, through grace, through Christ alone. Faith. The, the book of Hebrews defines what faith says. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things you can't see. Abraham didn't know where he was going, but he followed God. When God called Abraham, you know, it's an interesting thing because one thing Abraham lacked of everything God gave him, there was one thing he still did not have, and that was a son, an heir. And so God told him, he said, I'm going to give you a son. And in your son, in Isaac, shall all your seed be called. Now, God made him promise after promise after promise after promise after promise. And it all centered on Isaac, his son. So the time comes, you all know the story, Abraham and Sarah, they were both well advanced in age, way past childbearing age. But she gave birth to a son and they named him Isaac. And then sometime later, God comes along and says, uh, Abraham, you know that son I gave you? I want him back. I want you to take him to Mount Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice him. Now, I saw a movie once. Had old, how many of you remember who old George C. Scott was? He, he played Abraham in this movie. And, and it showed and the movie was completely unbiblical. And here's one place where it was unbiblical. When God called, I, I can't believe that Hollywood made an unbiblical movie. But anyway, <laughs> listen, in the movie, when God tells him, Abraham, I want you to bring your son, your only son, Isaac, and sacrifice him. And, and Abraham is there, and he's, and, and, as George C. Scott said, no, I'm not going to do that. I waited too long for him. You are not going to take my son. He argued with God. Nowhere do we find that in the Bible. When God said, you take your only son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and you sacrifice him, Abraham packed his stuff and he went. And so we're going to find, as Paul gets into chapter 4, about the righteousness and the, 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 the faith of Abraham. This is what we see. And so Paul says here, the righteous shall live by faith. That is such a simplistic statement. It comes from the book of Habakkuk, where Habakkuk says the same thing. The righteous shall live by faith. You know, in Habakkuk's day, when he wrote his book, uh, Habakkuk lived in the land, and, and the people were just evil. There was just trouble and sin everywhere. And Habakkuk goes to God and says, what are you going to do about this? And he says, well, he said, I'm going to... Send your worst enemy down there to attack you. That's what I'm going to do. 
And Habakkuk said, oh, wait a minute, God, that ain't what I meant. <laughs> but Habakkuk says, this is what I learned. The just shall live by faith. Trust God. We are to trust in what God has done and what God says he will do. For, sal for Paul, salvation is by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. And Romans 1 through 17 is an overture to the whole book of Romans. We're going we're gonna to come to some of these uh, things that we've talked about. We're going to come to them over and over and over and over. And, and listen, you are not going to like it until we get through chapter 3. Because all we're going to talk about for the rest of the chapters <clears throat> is a little thing called sin. Because Paul is going to hammer this home how the Jew has sinned, the Gentiles have sinned, everybody has sinned. We're all doomed without Christ. And he's going to show us how we have all Fallen short of the glory of God. In Romans 1.17, it states the essence of the gospel. The righteous shall live by faith. It assumes that God has kept his promises and redeemed his people, imputing his righteousness to them by faith. Galatians 2.20, one of my favorite verses, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, you know how I live it? I live it by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, I love that verse right there because here's what Paul says. Paul says, look, I know I'm saved, but there are most of the times I live like I'm not. But I'm not living by what I see. I'm living by what Christ has told me. And, you know, this is another reason why you hear me say often, many times, don't ever listen to your feelings. You know, if you get up on Sunday morning and say, I don't feel like going to church, you need to go. Because your feelings are doing nothing but lying to you. Don't ever be trusted to tell yourself the truth. There's only one source of truth, and that is the Word of God. And we must walk by faith and believe what it has said. We as believers, we rest in Christ and receive forgiveness and our union with our Lord. Now, you know, this whole union with Christ thing, we're going to really get into later on. Uh, you know, Paul really talks about this a lot in Galatians and in Colossians. But he talks about it in Romans too. That, that we, when we understand that I... Have a standing before God because of the gospel. And you know what that standing is? That I'm righteous. That I'm perfect. That when he looks at me, he sees him. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. Now, don't you always feel like that? <laughs> That's why the Bible says the righteous shall live by faith. There are times when, I, I'll be honest with you, there have been times in my Christian life when I have fallen so far into sin that I looked at God and said, I don't understand why you let me live. And I was serious. And you know what he said? He said, what sin? What sin are you talking about? I don't remember it. I've thrown it as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered ever again. I've thrown it into the depths of the sea and put up a no fishing sign. This is what, he's, this is what it means to walk by faith. 
we as believers, we rest in Christ and we receive the forgiveness and union with the Lord in this. And this, this, this whole thing, it prompts a challenge for us today. Sensing our need for a right standing before God has declined in our day. There was a time, <clears throat> and I don't know if y'all want me to do this or not, but there was a time when pastors held their congregations accountable. In other words, if I, as your pastor, saw you outside somewhere and I heard you say something or saw you do something, I'd drag you in front of this whole congregation and make you repent. You want me to start doing that? Okay. I do. <laughs> By the way, you could do it to me too. But you see, today, this Paul, he, he, he's talking about having a right standing before God. That's what the whole book of Romans is going to be talking about, being right in the sight of God. But many today, even in our churches, they have no desire to be right before God. They have no desire to be holy before God. Self-expression is the God of our day. It's hard to do anything wrong when you're told you're all right. You understand that? You, do, you, do you realize that we live in a world, I, I want to say, that has gone completely nuts. But that's not true. That is not true. We live in a world that hates God. That's where we live. And against this apathy, this agnosticism, this self-satisfaction, Romans 1, 16 and 17 invites us to believe, to believe the power of the gospel. You know, it's one thing, and you think about this, it's one thing when you have a whole generation of men who want to be women, or a whole generation of women who want to be men. That's bad. But they took it to another level. Now they're teaching it to the children. You know what the pro, you know what the behind all of that, right? And he created them male and female. When you take that away, you see Paul in the rest of this chapter is going to talk about what happens when you reject the truth of God. When you reject the truth that he is the creator. He says the righteous will live by faith. He says, but let me tell you what happens when you don't. In, in, in the rest of this chapter, Paul's going to describe the world we live in. But here's an interesting thing. He also described the world he lived in. And if we hear another hundred years, it will be the world they live in. Because sin never changes. It's always the same. Those who already believe may reflect Paul's self-designation as a slave. But let me ask you this morning. All of us are slaves. But whose slave are you? Are you a slave to sin? Or are you a slave to Christ? Whose slave are we? Given all that the Lord has done for us, it's right for us to own one master. And to have one cause, the gospel. And as we go through this book, <laughs> Paul is going to show us why the only logical thing we can do is trust Christ. 
That's the only thing. You know, if you jump ahead to chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, because of the mercy God has shown you, present yourselves a living sacrifice. But notice what he says, because of God's mercy that he has shown to you, how can you do anything else? And you know what he calls that? He said, then this is your spiritual worship. That presenting myself to Christ as his slave is how I worship him. You know, we talked about worship in Sunday school this morning. That's what worship is, me giving myself to God and say, here I am. I'm your slave. I'm not giving myself to God as a gift. <laughs> I'm giving myself to God as a slave. So Paul says, the righteous shall live by faith. Do you trust God this morning? Have you trusted him to give you new life? Second Corinthians, Paul says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away and behold, all things become new. Has that happened to you? It's happened to me. You know, it's an interesting thing. When I got saved, I didn't look any better than I did before. That was a shame. <laughs> You know, when I got saved, there was a period of time there that you probably couldn't tell it much. There are times now you probably couldn't tell it much. And I can stop and I can say, you know, I guess I'm really not saved. And God says, who are you going to believe, you or me? Who are you going to believe, me or you? So we need to trust God and begin to walk by faith. And not be ashamed and understand the power of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we are so thankful this morning for the gospel. Father, may we, like the Apostle Paul, not be ashamed. May we be eager to proclaim the message of the gospel. Because we know that there is great power. Father, that there is none that you cannot save. Lord, I pray that we would begin to learn to walk by faith, to stay in the Word of God. The Word, the Bible, the Word tells us that faith comes through hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. So, Father, may we stay in Your Word. May we diligent, be diligent to listen to biblical preaching and teaching. That, Father, that our faith may go strong, and that we would learn to walk and trust You at every step. And Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.